working on up to chapter 14, that Paul is really dealing with, with what's going on in worship there in Corinth. Uh, we, we've kind of taken that idea of focused worship. That there are things happening in Corinth that are just really taking the focus away. They're, they're going on all kinds of different directions and not uh, focused on what God is calling them to do in worship. Paul's writing this, this section, particularly here as we get to uh, this section on the Lord's Supper. It, it reminded me almost of, of a coach who comes in, taking over a, a, some sports program that's just been kind of flailing. They, they've kind of been falling apart, going in all kinds of different directions. They might have some, some real all-star caliber athletes there who are all just going off and playing for themselves and doing their own thing, and, and there's no team dynamic to it. And, and you can see it in, in the way they, they get into their film sessions, how they're not really paying attention. That, that, that film section, session kind of looks like a small version of the bigger thing is happening. As they get into practice and running drills, there's kind of this, oh, I don't really need this mentality, I can do. And, and there's no, nothing coming together. And so as a coach comes into that, a new coach comes into that system, a lot of times what he's going to do is he's going to start stripping away everything. This coach, she might come in and just say, you know what, everything has been happening, it stops now, we're coming all the way back to the fundamentals. Just strip everything back to, let's get down to the fundamentals of what's going on. How do we play this game together? And then start building it back up. And it doesn't even have to be a struggling team. The, the legendary coach, football coach Vince Lombardi, it was said that every year when he got his professional team of football players together, every year the first thing he did was say, gentlemen, this is a football. Just reintroduce them to the very basic element of what's happening. Paul kind of does that here. He's hearing things about what's happening as they come together for worship. He's hearing things about what's happening as they come together to, to do the Lord's Supper together. And he says, what you're doing isn't even the Lord's Supper anymore. You're so discombobulated. You're, you're so focused on so many different things that, that you've missed the point. We're going to strip it all back to what's the basic elements of what's happening here. So then they can start rebuilding. So let's, uh, let's look at what Paul is doing here as we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 17 and, and make our way eventually through verse 34 as we see where Paul kind of identifies what's, what's the problem, what's happening there, and then comes back to what are the basic elements, and then how do we go on from here. So to start it off, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you might be recognized. When you come together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. 
For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you, have, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you for this? No, I will not. Here's where Paul starts what's going on there. He starts saying, guys, this is, this is what I've heard. This is what I'm hearing is happening among you. You come together, but there are all these divisions, he says. And remember, Paul's been talking about divisions a lot in 1 Corinthians. How they're coming together, but they're dividing over, I like this guy, I like that guy, I like the way this one does, and they're drawing all these battle lines. <clears throat> we've, we've seen where they're drawing all sorts of different divisions, and, and here is no different. Paul is saying what we see right here, as you come together at the table, is a smaller version of what's happening in the bigger picture. There are these divisions among you. He says, when you're coming together, it is not for the better. He says, you're, you're coming together for worship, and it's actually making things worse. How can that be? How can that be that as the church gets together, Paul says, things aren't getting better, they're getting worse when you come together and worship? Well, he looks at these divisions. He says in verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Not only are they coming together to worship and he's saying things are actually getting worse as you get together. He's saying you're, you're not even doing the Lord's Supper anymore. <clears throat> but get this, better believe they're still coming to the table. They're still breaking bread. They're still passing a cup. They're doing the things. But Paul says, it's not the Lord's Supper. You might be going through the motions. But that's not worship. So he puts his finger here on the problem in verse 21. Where he says, In eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? How, is he dis how are they despising the church of God? What's happening here as they come together? What's happening as they come together for worship? And what's happening as they come together to share the Lord's Supper is these divisions are creating this us and them mentality. This, this have and have not mentality. Those who are doing well off and those who are struggling to get by. And that division is getting drawn and getting deeper and deeper. <clears throat> As they come together, he's looking at, at saying each one goes ahead with his own meal. Right? How that's, how that's happening is they come together, they're, they're probably meeting in a house. And so somebody's going to have a, a bigger house where they have some open area for them to come together. They're hearing the word of God. They're, they're gathering together. And as part of their every time of coming together worship, they are participating in the Lord's Supper. Now, the way that's going to look in, in a Roman culture, we'll just step back away from the Lord's table and say what, what that kind of dinner party would look like in the Roman culture is going to be, uh, they'll gather around a, a table sort of like this. They, the big word for it is a triclinium. Tri, three. There are three arms for this table in that U-shape. And so the host is going to be you know, somewhere like right in the middle. 
And, and as the host is there, the ones who are most important are going to be right next to him, right? And so you can see as you work your way out the table and on down the sides, who's most important and who's less important. And you can see that hierarchy happening, that pecking order. Where they say, well, well this guy is, is really rich and really powerful and, and he's my friend. And so he's going to sit right next to me. But this guy on down here, well, you know, I, I sort of know him. We do some business together, but that's about it. But he, he's still pretty important, and, but he's going to be there. They, they might even have these, these enormous dinner parties where not everybody's going to fit around this. And so then they're traping off into the, the other rooms and off into the outer court. And, and the food at this table, that's the good stuff. That's the good food. And, and what goes off into the next room? Well, heads out to the kids' table or whatever else, eh, less so. Or maybe it gets all the way out to the courtyard and, well, I'm sorry, kind of ran out. This is the way dinner parties went in Roman culture. Paul says, we are not a Roman culture. He says, we are a Christian culture. This whole business of setting up the table and putting the really important ones up close and giving them the really good food and, and working your way out for less important, less important, and then, and then just those who are just kind of straggling in. That has no business here, says Paul. When we come together at the Lord's table. That's not how we do things. He's saying, one, everyone goes ahead with their own meal. One gets drunk, another goes hungry. Somebody gets the best of the wine and somebody else doesn't even get any. This really, in that culture, would it would have put a hit on those who are poor. Would it, the ones that came early, the ones that were able to be there and, and gathered around ahead of time, are the rich ones. The ones with a bunch of servants. The ones who, who own things but don't have to work at them. They all get to be there early. And so as they start in and they start eating their meal together and they start in with the Lord's Supper and everything else before the others have even got off work, have even been able to get there and gather together, then they come and, and these guys are already partying it up and the other ones are getting nothing. Paul says it's not like that at the Lord's table. The Lord's table is not like that. We don't walk through these hierarchies of who's more important. Because guess what? None of us measure up. That's why he's, he's saying, or do you despise the church of God, humiliating those who have nothing? Because in the very way that they're acting, going back to the way the culture does things rather than the way God has called them to do things, they're saying, you know what? That, that's all well and good, but our way is better. Now, I said a few slides back, and maybe you saw it. It's possible that this wasn't even an intentional thing they were doing. It is possible that as they were gathering together, they weren't saying, quick, get out the good stuff before all the poor people get here so we can eat it up. It's possible that they were just carrying on unintentionally with what they always do. 
And isn't that a danger? That we get so caught up in the way we always do things that we don't look out for those who are missing out. That we are not even aware of their needs, of their worth in Christ. This is where Paul sees the church in Corinth. This is where he sees them coming together like this and carrying on in such a way that is just completely counter to what they have been doing. Consider what the church has started out as in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we see the beginning of the church. Where it says that they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Those are the kinds of things that we, we see the church was supposed to be doing. Awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Skipped us straight ahead, didn't I? All right. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When the church started, this is clear back before Paul is even Paul. He's still Saul. He's still trying to, to take these guys down. When it started, they were all coming together. They were caring for each other. They were looking out for one another. If somebody had a need, you filled that need. Some might say it sounds like a socialist system. And if you take a perverted version of it, it sure is. But rather than a system that encourages somebody not to do anything so somebody else can take care of them, it was a system built on mutual love, submission to God and to one another and caring for one another. It wasn't about free rides. It was about lifting each other up. This is the church that, that Paul is, is seeing should be. But it is not the church that is in Corinth. And so we come to Verse 23. Paul's put his finger on the problem, the, the injustice that's happening as, as they're just carrying along with their daily goings-on. Now here's where Paul strips it all back, says, all right, we're taking this back to the fundamentals. Here's what it's supposed to look like. Verse 23. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. But the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul says, I deliver to you as of very first importance, what I, what I got, what was delivered to me. And so Paul says, this, 
This is what the Lord's Supper is supposed to look like. And he looks at the bread. He looks at the cup. He, as Fee has pointed out, what, what Jesus is doing with the Lord's Supper is actually like a continuation of what he was doing with his disciples at the Last Supper. Right? At the Last Supper, celebrating Passover, celebrating the deliverance of God's people from slavery in Egypt. As year after year, they remember that time. And they said, we were slaves in Egypt and God worked on our behalf. And yet at that Last Supper, as Jesus was gathered with his disciples, as they ate the Passover lamb together, took the bitter herbs, all those different kinds of things that they may have done, Jesus took some of the things and he gave them this little bit of a twist. He took this bread that they would have taken and broken and he broke the bread, but he said at this point, this is my body. For you. Afterward, he took the cup, he, he blessed it, he gave thanks, and he told them, this is my blood for you. Now let's put this together. What are they celebrating? They're gathered for a Passover meal, right? They're gathered to celebrate what God had done to deliver his people from slavery. How God had worked mightily, had done miracles, and, and defeated the power of Pharaoh. So that God's people were released from slavery. And now Jesus is putting himself right into the middle of that feast. That God is doing a mighty thing. God is going to deliver his people from slavery. He is going to break the power of sin and death. And it is in Jesus that he's going to do it. <coughs> Jesus takes that bread. It's interesting, isn't it, as we think about it, that Jesus took bread. I mean, John had called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? If they're having a Passover meal, there, there has been a lamb that has been slaughtered. But Jesus didn't hold up the lamb. I can't say for sure why that is. It seems like that sacrifice might have been a better symbol. But Jesus chose bread. It's possible that one of the reasons is people don't get to eat lamb in that day very often. They're going to eat it for Passover. But you've got to be wealthy if you're going to eat lamb on a regular basis in that day, right? But everybody has bread. Maybe Jesus is doing something where he says, this isn't just for the rich. This isn't just for those who can afford it. In fact, there isn't anyone who can afford what's happening here. So he takes something humble like bread. Something that's common, something that everybody would have. And he says, this, this is my body. And it's for you. And it's for you. And it's for you. And it's for everyone. I don't know why it is he chose the bread. But it's an interesting idea, isn't it? After taking the bread, he also takes the cup, right? He blesses it. He thanks God for it. 
And then He tells His disciples, this cup is the new covenant in My blood. And saying that, He kind of said a mouthful there that we don't, we don't pick up on very easily. So let's walk that back through and consider some of the things that are happening there. This cup is a new covenant in My blood, He says. He's combining some different uh, scriptural terms here. He's to, to put in a couple different things together. First, we can go back to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 20, God delivers the Ten Commandments, right? And then in 21, 22, 23, we see Him uh, giving all these different laws. This is how you'll live. This is how my people are going to be known. He gives these covenant promises. This is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to go in and I'm going to drive out all the nations ahead of you so that you have your land. And God makes this covenant with His people so that in Exodus 24, <laughs> Moses is there. He's, he's called the priests together. They have made these sacrifices. Half the blood is thrown onto the altar, covering the altar with all this blood. Half the blood is in this bowl. And Moses is taking this blood out of the bowl and he's, he's throwing it. Covering it over the words of the, of the scrolls. He's covering it over the people. And he's saying the words, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord is making with you. As blood's being splattered all around. The people with, with blood hitting them are saying, and we will do just as the Lord has called us to do. They're hearing the covenant that God has made with His people. This covenant to bring them into the, the promised land to be their God and they will be His people. And now Jesus is saying, as He holds up this cup, Offering it to his disciples. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. See, not just is this a covenant that God is making to bring Israel into the land, but Jeremiah the prophet, they call him the weeping prophet or the prophet of tears because he is looking at God's people in exile. He is crying out to them to, to change their ways, and it's not happening, and there is desolation happening all over the place. And Jeremiah, if you read that book, man, it's hard because there is just torment throughout it. And yet, there's also one of those verses we like to put up on, on posters, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. He says to a people who are going into great harm. But God has something bigger. In 29, 30, 31, he starts talking about how there is disaster happening, but that is not the last word, that he is going to do something new. He is going to give them a new covenant. Not because the old one didn't work. He's still bound by that one, but he is also giving a new covenant. He's, he's bringing people to him. People like you and me, people who are not Jews. God is bringing them in. And so as Jesus holds up this cup and tells His disciples, this cup is a new covenant, they start thinking about what God is doing, where, where they see that God had said that in the last days He's going to be drawing people to Himself and He is going to overcome sin and darkness. It's a new covenant, He says, in My blood. And they're thinking about the blood of the covenant and now Jesus offers this to them. Paul, looking at, at, at these, these guys in Corinth 
who are coming together and just going about things as they always have, who are not even aware of those who are hurting in their midst. He says, remember what the fundamentals are. That Jesus gave Himself. His body was broken. His blood was poured out. And it's not because you have money. It's not because you have power. It's not because you are the haves and they are the have-nots. He says, when we come to the table together, there's not a one of us worthy of the good seat. And yet He's calling. calls for them to do this, all this in remembrance of me. That's not just a mental thing. That's not just remembering, recalling, but that has action tied to it. That in the way we treat one another, in the way we treat those who are, who are broken in our midst, those who, who are annoying in our midst, those who we don't even want to be around, and the way that we treat one another, we're remembering that we are broken that we are annoying, that we are not nice to be around. But through Jesus' blood, He is making us whole. He is making us perfect. He is drawing us to Himself, not because of who we are, but because of who He is and what He has done. So Paul closes it out, showing where they've been, taking it back to the fundamentals of what does the table mean in the first place. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, truly we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So that, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at his own house. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I'll give you direction when I come. He says, we've got to remember. As we come together, as we partake of the body and the blood, let's be aware of the body. We know that Paul likes word plays and he's already a a chapter ago or so talked about how as there's one bread, we are all together as one body. We are one body, he says. Pay attention to the body, he says. Coming up in another chapter, he's going to talk about there's one body and we are all members of it. He says that as we come together, it's not just it's not just this vertical relationship. That is primary, that is key. But if that vertical relationship does not change the way we do our horizontal relationships, if the way I relate to God doesn't affect the way I relate to you, then maybe we need to, as he says, be examining ourselves, judging ourselves, and see if that relationship with God is really what we think it is. 
looks at what's happening there at the table. And what he sees there is a microcosm. It's a small version of what's happening in the bigger picture there in Corinth. Of this idea of, it's all about me. Paul says, we've got to squash that business right now. Because not one of us are worthy of it. And yet, Jesus has done something remarkable in calling us to himself. So as we come to the table, that is what we celebrate. Not that we're good enough, but that he is. Ushers, we come forward, please, to serve communion.